Hello, everybody. Welcome to Can You Believe It? We're at the 300th episode of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. That's right, 300. You know, in cricketing terms, they say, do it in tens, do it in twenties. Some players who are like Jacques Cullis, do it in fifties. Not even Jacques Cullis has got to 300, and he's arguably the greatest all-rounder in the world. There's only a couple that have got to that magical number of 300. And here we are, Nick and I, from the boardroom to the locker room, bringing you the 300th episode. Previewing this weekend's sporting activities, let's start with some of the major stories that happened during the week. All Black coach Scott Robertson will not, I repeat, will not be able to pick overseas-based players in his squad anytime soon. The New Zealand Rugby Union seeing no need to alter their selection ban. New Zealand have long confined test eligibility to home-based players in order to protect their domestic competitions, a rule that some pundits say is outdated and could hurt the three-time world champions in the long run. Well, we all remember what it did to South Africa, didn't it? Now, with his appointment as head coach announced in April, Robertson said he would be open to picking overseas players. However, his boss um, has said, sorry for you. Also, Robinson this time, Mark Robinson, the coach is Mark Robertson, said the subject did not even come up at the governing body's final board meeting of the year last night. It wasn't even discussed, he told the media. We're clear on our protocols, and that's been a crucial part of the All Black success over a long time. He did acknowledge the world is changing, and from time to time, discussions need to happen. Now, back to South Africa, they previously limited selection to overseas players with at least 30 test caps, but ditched the policy in 2018. Guess what? We won the World Cup in 2019, and we won the World Cup in 2023. So there you go. Australia is also curbs on picking overseas-based players, with previous coach Eddie Jones and Dave Rennie allowed only three picks per series or tournament. And look what happened to them. So maybe, maybe, take your old... No, in fact, don't. Keep it like that, New Zealand. Keep it like that, Australia. Because that just gives us an opportunity to continue, continue winning World Cups. Meanwhile, uh, Japanese rugby international Shota Hori. The name might not ring a bell, but I guess when you are Japanese and you look like a Japanese and you have dreadlocks, you'll stand out. And that is exactly who we're talking about. He played in all four World Cups, including the 2019 quarterfinal in Japan, will retire at the end of the season. 37-year-old hooker, instantly recognizable for his long dreadlocks as well, tied up in bunches, has won 76 caps for Japan, and is a massive crowd favorite. He also played in the Miracle of Brighton, the win over South Africa at the 2015 World Cup, and was instrumental in their run to the last eight four years later. He also played at this year's World Cup in France, making his final appearance as Japan lost to Argentina to miss out on a place in the knockout round. He has, though, been named Japan's Domestic League Player of the Year twice, and he also had stints in Super Rugby with the Melbourne Rebels and the Tokyo-based Sun Wolves. And the other big rugby story um, is that English referee Tom Foley received death threats after acting as television match official at the Rugby World Cup final has decided to step away from officiating Test Rugby for the foreseeable future. 
He was the TMO for the final between South Africa and New Zealand, which the box won 12-11, and the All Blacks had skipper Sam Kane sent off. He's 38 years old now and said that uh, death threats had been aimed at him and his family since the World Cup, and he had to warn his children's school as a result of them. Meanwhile, Wayne Barnes, who refereed the final, also announced his retirement last month and referenced the online abuse he had faced with family members also being targeted. I think that's absolutely disgusting. It's disgusting. That's what social media does. Crazy stuff. I suppose there is good to it, but there's also a lot more bad, if you like, to social media when it comes to these kinds of things where people can actually just be disgusting. I mean, it's only a game, people. Yeah, I know, South Africa won, and maybe you think, oh, because I'm South Africa and I support South Africa. Well, no, it doesn't matter who I support. You can't be giving death threats to an official in a rugby game. It's only a rugby match. Anyway, talking about rugby matches, the Toyota Cheetahs have received all three of their lone players back from Osprey ahead of their entry into the EPCR Challenge Cup that starts this weekend and have set their sights on making it to the quarterfinals. Coach Javis Furi lent the three players to the Welsh franchise in a new player loan agreement between the franchises. But all three are expected to play this weekend when the Cheetahs face Zebras from Palmer in Italy in their opening fixture. Hooker Manus Fanameva, wing Daniel Cassendi and scrum off Ruan Kruger all joined the side from Swansea where they trained with the Ospreys and two of them played in the Vodacom United Championship for that side. Considering the Cheetahs used the Italian side's base as their home for last season's Challenge Cup, they are sure to be well-versed with the field and conditions and that should make their task a little bit easier. While the Cheetahs do not have the same level of competition as the United Rugby Championship sides, they have faced the Western Force in four exhibition games, won the Curry Cup last yeah, and for readmits, it will be a more difficult task to make the playoffs, but that's this is their minimum ask for this season. So why am I talking about the Cheetahs? Because they're not in the United Rugby Championship. I'll tell you why. Um, because fixtures for this weekend do not include United Rugby Championship action because it's the Champions Cup um, as the teams get underway now in a different competition for a couple of weeks. Starting on Friday evening, Connacht play Union and Glasgow Warriors play the Northampton Saints. Um, in the EPCR Challenge Cup, the Black Lions play Gloucester. Zebra play the Cheetahs, as I just mentioned. The Sharks, South African Sharks, play Section Valois. Olympique play Glenethley. Ospreys play Benetton and the Dragons play Oyonnax. And then in the Champions Cup, Toulon play Exeter, Bath play Ulster, Stade Toulouse play Cardiff, Munster play Aviron, the Bulls play Saracens. That's going to be a crackerjack of a game. More in a moment. And the Bristol Bears play Lyon. And then the rest of the fixtures see Papillon play the Lions, Newcastle Falcons play Montpellier in the EPCR Challenge Cup. And the Champions Cup sees the Sale Sharks play Stade Francais. The Leicester Tigers will host the Stormers. La Rochelle play Leinster and Racing 92. The new club we see at Khaleesi is, comes up against Harlequins. Now, that's not all. There is lots of rugby this weekend, particularly down the road from where I'm broadcasting to you from right now. There is, of course, the Cape Town Sevens. And after the magnificent performance of the Springbok Blitzbok Sevens, they will be the number one seed for the tournament. But let's go into the 
15-man game to start with and look at some of the South African action. We've spoken about the cheaters in action already. And then the big game most probably is the informed bulls who come up against Saracens. Now, Saracens have had a very, very long history with regards to South Africans, South African rugby, directors of rugby, former Springbok captain Francois Pinot was there. They also had a couple of South African administrators running the club. Then they got relegated and issues penalized and back up in the top flight. Well, the take on the Bulls, um, who are on a tremendous run at the moment, they've only lost one of their last five matches, and they hammered the Sharks the past weekend by 44 points to 10, while Sarazen also played the Sharks, the Sale Sharks, that is, and they beat them 35 20 as far as the other games are concerned, or the other matches are concerned the, at, the, at the Loftus Stadium, hopefully it'll be a nice big crowd at Loftus Fasfeld for the game at the weekend between the two sides. The other South African sides of note in action, of course, uh, the Stormers, they travel away to Leicester Tigers. And I've got to tell you that both sides have had terrible run. Both teams have lost one in their last five, but at least the Stormers have won their last game, albeit at Kutzenberg outside uh, Cape Town in Stellenbosch, 31-7. For the rest, they've lost to Cardiff, Munster, Benetton and Glasgow. As far as the Tigers are concerned, they've lost to uh, Sail Sharks. They've lost to Harlequins. They've beaten the Exeter Chiefs. They lost to Leinster and they lost to Edinburgh. So as far as the Leicester Tigers are concerned, um, let's remember, of course, uh, that there are a couple of players in that uh, Tigers side um, that most probably uh, you would have heard of. And you've got to say that a couple of the uh, Leicester Tigers players have a history with South Africans. Certainly a gentleman by the name of Andre Pollard. Remember him? Of course you do. He was one of the stars, even though he didn't start the Rugby World Cup. Of course, he came along and played for South Africa in the end, in the final, and he kicked that magnificent kick to give South Africa victory. So he, of course, in the Leicester Tiger side, and he'll be coming up against quite a few of his South African World Cup winning stars. But the question still remains um, with regards to the weekend's fixtures, is there going to be a kind of strategy and a depth in choosing the right players? So far, South Africans and the franchises are in the second year of EPCR action, but the lessons learned from the first year hopefully will be paying off. The need for greater and more versatility, strategic planning being a major part of the campaigns. Home ground advantage, always a massive role for the erstwhile European Cup competitions, now renamed the Investec Champions Cup and EPCR Challenge Cup. And in the first year, it seemed almost overwhelming for the South African franchises. Remember, the Stormers went away for four matches, came back, played one, now they're back in England again. So it can't be easy. Um, the Bulls, the Stormers are in the Investec Champions Cup. The Lions, the Sharks and the Cheetahs play in the second year EPCR Challenge Cup which also pits them against some top European competition. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Cannot wait to see the action. But it's going to be difficult this weekend to um, differentiate between what you're going to watch and when you're going to watch it. Because on Saturday at 22, not 20 past, but 22 minutes past 12, 
It's the first game of the Cape Town Sevens. Now, I can tell you that over 65,000 tickets have already been sold for the two days, 34,000 on the Sunday, 31 on the Saturday. If you are in and around Cape Town, you are able to still get a couple of tickets. Atmosphere is going to be amazing. What I can tell you is if the weather is anything like it has been through the last week, you're going to need a lot of suntan lotion, a lot of pea caps, horribly hot. Beautiful at that, and the Cape Town Stadium right next to the ocean. So uh, nice, hopefully, sea breeze late in the afternoon. Samoa take on Canada at 22 minutes past 12, followed then by New Zealand against Australia, Fiji against Spain, Argentina against France, Ireland against Great Britain. The Blitzbocker are in action just after two against the United States. Then it's the second round of the first day's matches. Australia play Canada, New Zealand play Samoa, France play Spain, Argentina take on Fiji, the USA play Great Britain. And the last game of Saturday sees the Blitzbocker take on the Irish. So promises to be a magnificent day of sevens rugby. We look forward to all that action on day one. There's also, of course, the uh, ladies' action as well. Right, so golf is currently underway and it is being played right on the banks of the Kruger National Park. What a magnificent golf course. What a tournament is currently underway. What players are there? Just quite fantastic. Leopard Creek. And I really do mean this when I say that you're in a game reserve. I mean, there's crocodiles, there's lions, there's elephants, there's hippos, there's plenty snakes this time of the year. It really is a tournament for the ages. And many, many a golfer from all over the world are wanting to play in the tournament. And one person in particular, Dean Burmeister, is looking for a hat-trick. He won the Joburg Open, then he won the SA Open, and he's looking for that rare hat-trick of titles on the Sunshine and DP World Tour. Burmeister, as, as I say, won the last two co-sanctioned tournaments in the Joburg Open and the SA Open, and currently clear favourite in the uh, event. But a couple of players are back. Um, Charles Schwarzel's record in the championship is unsurpassed. He returns as the winner of a record four Alfred Daniel titles, as well as having finished second on four occasions. He holds the tournament record at 24 under par 264, and the biggest margin of victory in 2012 when he was 12 strokes under par. So that is absolutely fantastic and brilliant for the tour. Just on another note, which I was reminisced to mention on Monday, Ashley Buhai. Remember we've spoken to her a couple of times on the show? Well, she successfully defended her Australian Open title last weekend. Kind of went a little bit under the radar, but congratulations to her. Brilliant performance by Ashley, and she held off the field. Now, one other big bit of golfing news uh, through the course of the week. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that the Royal and Ancients, who obviously are the uh, rulers of the um, the game, they make the rules, the laws, have along with the United States Golf Association decided that golf's long hitters will need to be reeled in under new rules 
where they will limit the distance the balls struck by the game's elite players can travel starting in January 2028. Now, this is in a bid to reduce the impact to increased hitting distances have on golf's long-term sustainability. The governing bodies said in a joint statement that the longest hitters could expect to see a reduction of as much as 13 to 15 yards in the distance they drive the ball. According to the USGA chief executive, governance is hard. While thousands will claim that we do too much, there will just be as many who say we don't do enough to protect the game long term. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of like turning around and saying to Usain Bolt, you're not allowed to run faster. Golf is a game where the harder and faster and further you can drive the golf ball, the less distance you have to the hole. But there is a difference here. Usain Bolt's 100-meter record, he can get quicker, but remember, it's what he can't because he's retired, but it's over 100 meters. Golf is played over a course, a length of most probably between seven and seven and a half thousand meters or yards, and played at a par of 70, 71 or 72, most golf courses over 18 holes. The problem they're having now is that these golfers are driving the ball so far that what would be a par four is now turning into a par three, and they would fail in their responsibility to protect the future of the game. So I don't know how they're going to do this, but they're going to limit the ball's ability to travel 317 yards with three yards of tolerance through testing conditions that will increase from the current standard of 120 miles per hour swing speed to 125. It's like Formula One. You're going to reduce the speed of the cars. No, the engineers are so clever that before you know it, the cars are going two seconds faster. So they're going to limit the distance that the golf balls can go. As a, as a matter of fact, do you have any idea how many dimples there are on a golf ball? I thought you might not. That's what I'm going to tell you because it varies. Okay, so the average number of dimples on a golf ball are 336. However, you could have anywhere between 220 and 430 dimples on a golf ball so i don't know what they're going to do give less dimples make bigger dimples because the dimples are how the flight of the ball goes but then when you get like a golf driver called a big bertha which golfers that are spending 18 hours a day in in a gym or on a golf course can smash a golf ball from almost anywhere off the tee 350 380 yards do they have to bring the ball back to 317 yards irrespective and if they do happen to hit it 350 yards, but it goes off the fairway into the rough, into where the snakes are at Leather Creek, are they going to say, no, 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 you've hit the ball too far, move it back away from the snakes? Anyway, we'll find out in time to come. We shall see what's going to happen. Okay, so here's a couple of other bits and pieces from tennis before we get into the weekend's football. Nick Kyrgios and former U.S. Open champion Emma Redekanu have been absentees from the entry list for the 2024 Australian Open. But Rafael Nadal and Naomi Osaka are set to make their Grand Slam comebacks. The fiery Aussie and time world number 13 had knee surgery in January and then aborted plans to return at Wimbledon after tearing a ligament in his wrist. Australian Open boss Craig Tilly recently said he expected Kyrgios to be at the opening Grand Slam of the year in some form and he could be granted a wild card. Meanwhile, British player Radakanu was also missing from the automatic entry list. The 21-year-old who stunned the world when she won the U.S. Open as a qualifier aged 18 has been out of action since April. 
after undergoing operations on both her wrists and an ankle. She also pulled out of her scheduled comeback at an exhibition tournament in Macau this month, but is targeting 2024 as the return to tennis. Okay, on our 300th show, let's end with this weekend's Premier League fixtures and talk about one or two of the results during the week. Can you believe, can you believe that Manchester City lost a game? Yep. Not only have they lost a game, their form right now is, well, to say the least, not very good. Aston Villa climbed above Manchester City. They dealt their opponents a big blow by beating them by a goal to nil. Fourth-placed Manchester City have gone four league games without a win and are six points behind leaders Arsenal. They drew with Chelsea, Liverpool and Spurs. The treble winners desperately needed to beat Villa to keep in touch with the Gunners, who won on Tuesday. Instead, they produced what's been said as their worst performance of a damaging run and could easily have lost by more than a goal. City looked very weary, but a trip to Saudi Arabia for the FIFA Club World Cup looming before the hectic Christmas schedule. There's little respite in sight. Now, there were a couple of other good results. Manchester United, apparently, by all accounts, and I don't want to give you my opinion because you know that it might sound biased, played possibly one of the best games they've played all season. A 2-1 victory over Chelsea at home, which clearly has taken some of the pressure off Eric Ten Hag with regards to people claiming that his job might very well be in jeopardy. And I'm going to whisper, no, I'm not going to whisper, because Nick's got tough shoulders. His team got thumped. They were beaten 5-0. I don't know where that result came from, but so be it. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. They uh, lost 5-0. Other notable scores, Palace lost at home by two goals to nil to Palace. Brighton beat Brentford by two goals to one. The Tuesday night game saw Arsenal beat Luton 4-3, and Burnley, who had a 5-0 win at the weekend, they were beaten by a goal to nil. But the fixtures for this coming weekend look like this. It is Crystal Palace at home to Liverpool. Crystal Palace seems to be Liverpool's bogey side quite often. But Manchester City are giving everybody an opportunity to catch up to them. Palace uh, host Liverpool. Wolverhampton Wanderers, that's at Hoppers 2 on Saturday. Wolverhampton Wanderers, they play Nottingham Forest at 5 o'clock. Manchester United at home again to Bournemouth. Brighton at home to Burnley. Sheffield United at home to the Bees, Brentford. And then the Hoppers 7 game after Aston Villa's fantastic win against Manchester City. Um, they will be hoping, hoping to keep that form going when they take on top of the table Arsenal at Hopper 7 on the uh, Saturday evening fixtures. Then on Sunday, early kickoff, 4 o'clock for Everton against Chelsea, Fulham against West Ham, and Luton against Manchester City. And then the game at uh, 6.30 sees Spurs play Newcastle. Should be an absolutely fantastic weekend of footballing action. And before we go, let's also, shall we, talk cricket. We're just around the corner. It's almost upon us when South Africa will take on India. That's right. It's the big one. The first T20 international this Sunday. South Africa against India, four o'clock in the afternoon. On the same day, Zimbabwe play Ireland and the Indian women play the English women. 
But there's more cricket action tomorrow. The New Zealand women play the Pakistanis. The second T20 international where Ireland are in Zimbabwe. And the Indian women play the English women. And the West Indies play England in the third one-day international. That series is level at one apiece. Um, And then later on this evening, in fact, as we speak, the third T20, 1-0 to Bangladesh at the moment. The second one was washed out. South Africa's women against the Bangladeshi women. That game currently on at the moment. That is the 300th edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. The 301st edition will be on Monday evening when we review not just everything I've previewed, but every and anything else that might happen over the next 48 hours or so. From the team, have a pleasant weekend. Be nice to each other. And until Monday, bye for now.